Welcome to the Founders Edition. We mic up with founders, investors, and advisors behind the most successful software companies on the planet. We are here to showcase the most effective mechanisms for sales go to market and dispel the myths around the best practice for the modern world. We are Hunters and Unicorns. Welcome to Hunters and Unicorns. I'm Simon Kutis and I'm joined by my co-host, Oli Kune. Welcome back to the show, everyone. And it's an absolute pleasure to be joined by Pavel Dolajal. Pavel, welcome to the show. Hey guys, thanks for having me. It's like really a pleasure. I love it here. The paintings and everything. It's awesome. <laughs> a, bit, a little bit crazy, but... Um, oh, I like, I like crazy. <laughs> a reflection on all three of us, eh? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, we're going to find out more because you are actually building a very, very disruptive startup, um, Kabula. Just really, well, you're actually in a scale-up mode at the moment, but um, you are currently CEO. And the title that you wanted us to introduce you as is the CEO that's hiring the best team that he possibly can, the best team in the world. So um, we're really looking forward to really understanding more about you know some of this amazing, uh, in, these amazing initiatives that you're going after. But actually, Pavel, it's a really unique story because you know we see lots of companies coming from the West Coast. There's lots of companies you know emerging out of places like Tel Aviv, but but actually. Kabula was was born out of the out of eastern eastern Europe. So just tell us a little bit more about you know the beginnings and 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 why we are actually seeing a kind of a change in the market right now with companies like Kabula and and others that are also kind of emerging out of that part of the world. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a great question. Thanks for that. So uh, for me, it was kind of. Um, like you have to understand that we had a velvet revolution, right? Thirty years ago now, but it always takes some time to for things to change. So for me, Kabula is my third venture. Uh, we started, you know, internet portals in uh, late '90s. We scaled them through Eastern Europe. Awesome. Sold it to Warburg and Pincus, and it was like great tech, right? A lot of data, a lot of machine learning. Then uh, we actually said, oh, let's do something bigger. And we actually built a, a, a largest performance media company trying to scale the business systems as well. So within a year, we had 5 million ARR, 15,000 clients, you know, working globally. Great. Sold the company, had kids, you know, and then started to do angel investment. And like, yeah, angel investment is nice, but I love to build, right? So, you know, like it's, it's a different, it's a different, different DNA, right? And so uh, I've always tried to encourage people uh, in, in our part of the world to go to go beyond the borders, right? And it was very hard, actually, first 15 years. People were scared to go outside of Czech, Slovak, you know, Poland, because of the different cultural aspects and everything. But nowadays, a lot of people actually lived abroad. They studied abroad, right? Or they worked for international companies or they work for successful startups as product board, for example, and they graduated out of them and now starting their companies. And like, oh, we love the, the, the tech talent in, in Czech Republic or Slovak or Poland, right? And we want to build there because of tech, because of the product understanding. But we understand that we need to scale it kind of like the UK, US style, right? <laughs> and in places like Estonia, for example, it's so small or, or, or Slovak that you can't build anything for the local market. It's just too small, right? Mm -hmm. So you need to build for outside. And I was very fortunate. I was actually studying in US 94, 95. So for me, it was always logical to build for, for English speaking world. Yeah. 
That's incredible. And so obviously, you know, with that in mind, so you, you started Kabula. Was it something that you had, that you came up with by design? Was it a moment in time? How did that happen? Just mm -hmm. take us to the to the genesis of how Kabula actually happened. Mm -hmm. So after, as I said, after I exited two companies and started in angel investment, uh, I was like, once I decided I want to build again, I was purposely looking for several attributes. I was looking for a great team, you know, great co-founders, because like my two previous companies I've been part of were awesome, but some of them actually had, you know, like you didn't think in 98, you know, when internet started about uh, what is the what is the co-founder, you know, like like gonna be like and and uh, how long you can be with them, how you're gonna uh, need to be solving problems, right? You just why to do it, right? So with Kebula, you know, when before Kebula, I was like, yeah, I'm I am old enough to actually to do something not for four years, but I want to do something for 15, 20 years, right? And for that, I need to be looking for who are my co-founders, because you literally get you know, in the bed with people and you have to stay with them. And you have to, it's not rosy all the time. You will need to be solving hard issues. So finding, I was purposely looking for people with the same kind of like moral attitude, ethical and view of the world, right? About people, about building a company, not a startup, but building a company that actually has clients, you know, that you actually service, etc. You understand the needs. And second, uh, I was helping one of my investments, a company, a company called Revology that was uh, implementing Google Apps back then in 2014 in one of the large banks. And it was like, it changed the bank. And the CIO back then was like, well, I see how it's changing how people operate here, but I need to have data to analyze how they operate. So I would like to take data from Google Calendar, from Oracle database to understand how people work on projects, some CSV file. I'm like, yeah, it's awesome, we can do it. You know, both of my previous companies were data heavy, right? So, yeah, no problem. Give me 12 people, 12 months. I was like, are you crazy? <laughs> this is like some IBM shit, you know, like, like you preach cloud and then I'll give you three months, 3000 euros. I was like, wow, challenge accepted. <laughs> so I was looking like literally everywhere. I couldn't find anything that would kind of like do it. Right. So somebody recommended uh, Peter Shimechek, my, my co-founder. I met with him and uh, back then they were actually, uh, they were, they were uh, migrating companies into cloud, like they were taking care of Red Bull, etc. And we met and together and he said, yeah, we can do this. It's like we sign an NDA and I, I, I share with him, you know, the accesses and and six hours later, it was done. Six hours later? Yes. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it was midnight. You know, I mean, I remember I was, you know, like watching TV with my wife, you know, scrolling emails, you know, I kind of like, Dur! I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, how did you do that? I was like, yeah, I'm using visualization tool called Good Data. I'm like, I don't care about visualization. How did you, today we would say, how did you build the data platform, right? And he was like, well, we have this internal tool <laughs> I was like, oh, internal tool. Interesting. Tell me more. It was like, well, here's a GitHub link, like github.com slash Kabula. So I looked through it and next morning I came to, to their office and I never left. And about the design for the first year and a half, we were, we were, you know, going around the world. We went to Silicon Valley. We went to see, you know, a lot of my previous contacts, customers. We were trying things. We did huge hackathons for 500 people, you know, like with universities and like data hackathons. And we were trying to understand how is the data world 
and uh, you know the, the whole world gonna evolve and so over those year and a half two years we have formulated a a hypothesis which was which went like this the world is moving into algorithm driven world where every process that can be automated will be automated using data and ai and more and more you know these ai agents will talk to each other and our our vision was if you look at stock exchange most of the trades are automated if you look in advertising most of the things are automated right you know software speaking software and we were like wow this is gonna just continue a b there's only five companies in the world, you know, like Netflix, Facebook, that can do it internally. And there's tens of millions of companies who just don't know how to do it, right? So you need to kind of like simplify for them. Then we looked at uh, technological trends and we analyzed last 30 years, you know, like how is the trends you know, going? And uh, there is a cycle. There is bundling together and unbundling and then bundling. And... And kind of like moves up and there's an emerging behavior, right? So like you have your hard drive, you have a memory, boom, somebody creates a free service in Amazon and suddenly boom, all the emerging behavior, SaaS tools and everything, right? So like, okay, now what we see is that one era, the Hadoop era, kind of like is ending an Oracle. And we saw the emergence of new data warehouses, Redshift, Snowflake. Like, well, there's going to be a huge unbundling of old stack. And there's going to be dozens of tools. Today, we would call it a modern data stack, which are going to be, you know, around Snowflake, around BigQuery, around Redshift. And we're like, oh, but as people will want to use data in every business department, not only in IT and data science, they will need to change how easy it is to use all those tools. So like, oh, okay. It's a similar situation as with, you know, uh, your iPhone or, or your PC. You have different components like hard drive, you know, you have, you have, you have, you have, you have memory, uh, you have applications. And there is one thing in the middle called operating system that binds it all together and makes it work seamlessly. Like you had a great analogy, you know, like like like, like with the operate telephone operators, right? That's right. Yeah, the old patches. patching. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of like what uh, the world looks still now in the in the modern data stack, right? You want something? Oh, patch me through this. Oh, uh, patch this technology together with this technology. And we envision in 2017, 16, you know, that there's gonna be one layer which is gonna be loosely integrating. All the different, you know, tools, Snowflake, BigQuery, integration into one environment and orchestrating all of this together. And that for us, that's been Kebula. We built an API layer, started to build it 2016-17. In 2018, we incorporated the Kebula Industries and said, this is our way. And along the, we knew we had to wait, mm -hmm. right? Because like, it's, it's, the world was not there. So it gave us three years that we could develop you know towards our vision well from obviously you've spoken about a hypothesis mm -hmm. that you're having at this moment in time how do you, and what was your process in validating that hypothesis great so uh first we looked for a framework on how to test and uh how to think about this hypothesis right so there's all the Boston, you know, matrices and, and SWOT analysis and, and ODA loops. Awesome. 
but it kind of was like different pieces. So very early on, we discovered an English guy uh, named Simon Wardley. And he you was know, like, yeah, yeah, you spent like two hours talking about him. Right? I love him. And uh, he was in a similar situation 15 years ago, 10 years before us. And he was like, I'm a tech guy. I like to think in algorithms and strategy, business strategy. Just It was done by people who don't think in systems. So he connected all the different systems into worldly mapping. And it's kind of like a, a, a very nice framework, which starts with the user. So how do you validate, you know, like, well, you need to start with the user. So you use the, the you know, like jobs to be done, you know, pains, gains, you know, and, 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 and etc. to actually understand the users, right? You need to talk to them a lot. So for us, we've always worked with end customers. Even today, you know, we are a platform, but every year we are three co-founders. We actually work together on at least one customer and for that customer. So we would still understand the daily problems, right? And so like once you have the user needs, for us, we identified two high-level needs. One of them was understanding the data, so analytics, insights. And the second one was automating actions, right? Once you understand, you want to automate. So taking data, insights, actions, right? And then, yeah, okay, so what do I need to understand data? Well, I need clean data together. What do I need for that? Well, I need probably some somewhere to put it together, so warehouse it. And you kind of like peel it, the needs, as an onion, right? So all the way down to electricity, if you want. And then you're like, okay, so which each component in that user chain, it, how, how developed is it? Is it just R&D? Or is it like hard to implement, but you know, like people can do it? Or is it already utility? Yeah, so you build this map, kind of like of evolutionary pressures, and you see, oh, okay, interesting. So like 2016 for us was like, oh, okay, so warehousing is now moving into product from, you know, like before Hadoop, you had a lot of people managing, right, assembly. This is moving here, this here. It's like, oh, okay, this makes sense. And so it gives you, there is a natural pressure that everything moves from R&D to utility. Mm -hmm. You know, think electricity, any, anything, right? So you can think how things are going to be moving. And then we start to work with clients. We start to do implementations ourselves before we start to build partner network. So we would really understand. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I know you're probably going to be burning to ask the same question here. But, but that process of validation, so as and when you're working... First of all, how do you choose a customer mm -hmm. that you want to help you validate? Um, and what is then that process of validation? That is a great question. So uh, I would like to say that there is a, uh, some very sophisticated framework when you are startup, when you're starting. If there is, please let me know. Uh, <laughs> everybody talks about, hey, let's not throw spaghetti on the wall, you know, like let's... I, I actually don't think it's healthy in the beginning because like uh, if you go, well, oh, oh, let me see. There are two different approaches. Either you come from some vertical, you know, like you've been working in, in finance for HSBC for 20 years and you understand that there's one problem, right? So then you validate it, right? You, you go and you solve that specific problem. Or you think uh, you come from general problem, you've you know, experience that problem yourself, like we have, right? And you are trying to, uh, you understand that 
kind of building general purpose technology, but then at least us, we were looking like, what is the first use case? What is the first, you know, kind of like, wh where do we start, right? Because like operating system, you can use computer for, you know, anything, right? And the same is with Kibula, it's an operating system for data, you know, so whatever you do, yeah, but it's not helpful while building business. It's like, yeah, Facebook started in, you know, like like hot or not, basically in Harvard, so then it started, right? So to your question, we, we tried uh, in the first two years when we were formulating this, and making sure that it actually will work, we were we, we tried different things. You know, we reached out, we went out, you know, we reached out to people, you know, we knew, we reached out, you know, cold call. We, we actually started to do a lot of events, you know, for data community back then in, in London, in Prague, and we just started to talk to people. And we were very fortunate uh, that one of our first customers was a guy by name Tomasz Chuper who is quite special. He is one of the most brilliant business minds. He built uh, back in the times of Groupons, you know, he built the most successful Groupon clone in six countries of Europe, which was profitable. He then sold it to the UK and then he built um, uh, for delivery hero company. So now he's been building a Rohli group, which is a, a fast like like Ocado, but in six countries in Europe and he delivers within two hours. And so he's been like really like really one of the first, you know, like foundational transformational customers for us. And he said, I don't want to run the systems. No, no ops people. Right. It needs to run itself. I, I, he's technical in business, so he helped us to actually, he challenged us, he helped us to, 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 to do this. And we understood that we are very good, as Kebula, in taking complex things and simplifying them for the end user. So we said, okay, this is interesting. This, you know, like kind of like a retail combination, physical and virtual, you know, like a lot of supply chain marketing, you know, customer service is our very, very good niche. We started to go after that. Then we acquired a customer called Mall Group, which you know, like uh, uh, did consolidation. They they purchased thirty different e-commerce in in six countries. They had ten different technologies. They went down to Tableau and Kibula. They tenfolded number of use cases and people within a year. Like, hmm, interesting. Then uh, we started to work with Firehouse Subs in in US because we were like, hey. Like everything we say about, you know, like our CFO says, our core customers are people who have large CRM and large logistics or ERP, kind of like, right? So two, two different large systems that need to work together. And so we said, well, this characteristics is very similar to fast food uh, operations in US. So we started to work with a company in the UK called Forth which do, you know, like software for Ovagamama and, you know, like that, they're using Kibula. Then we started to work in US with Firehouse Apps. They started to grow, you know, like into thousands of uh, thousands of operations and they do all that on Kibula. And then we said, well, it's actually interesting. And what have we built? And we found out that because like we changed the architecture, our operating system, you know, we basically managed the cloud resources for data workflows has all the governance and security. It's easy to use by business people and tech. Like, huh, who can use that? Like financial services. So we start proactively go after banks 
and we found out that there is a huge fit because like all the financial services you know customers they want to go to cloud you know they want to have self self management um, data management for people in business but they don't know how to scale they don't want to repeat the hadoop story where you know to service 20 users in business they had to have 150 it people right so it's it started to be really good and we started to go to large banks like Erste Bank and it was it was purposefully driven so the first we threw some spaghetti you know we we yeah. formed some of that stack We're like oh interesting what's <laughs> similar right and then we started to refine on that and and uh like two years ago we formulated another hypothesis go to market which said well this seems to be very good for msp uh, 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 managed service providers and we started to focus on uh, uh advertising industry as well where uh, there is a lot of l- large large uh, networks who actually started to do a lot of data for their customers and they sell it as a service and so they don't want to have 20 different tools that you need to patch through each each time they want to have an environment one workspace which is managed which is governed and has all the things from integration data science and changing so i think you get better and better as you start to do it and we always look for new clues new new kind of like go to market and we try to really test it with customers i i don't yeah I, like we always start and talk to people i think it's the first step but then we go and we are asking people how do you like it but how much are you willing to pay for it yeah because mm-hmm. if you ask people if they like it oh i love it it's lovely mm-hmm. how much are you willing to pay for it that really show me the money you know so so the fact that you're bootstrapped obviously did that afford you the ability to be more patient rather than chasing revenue mm-hmm. to really kind of see the right angles and you know who actually who else cares about it? really ask that question it's really great we found this use case but who else cares is that something that has been afforded to you because you've been bootstrapped or is it the opposite you need to get to revenue quicker because you're bootstrapped it'd be really good to understand that mm-hmm. uh I wouldn't say that bootstrapping is good for everyone at all situations because sometimes you know like if you are racing against the time and uh market is ready and your uh value proposition is all set then it makes definitely sense to scale as fast as possible but for us when we started uh, and we did the worldly mapping and we talked to customers we kind of part of our hypothesis was that it's going to take three to four years for the world to go through the unbundling cycle and to start to see the problems like very early on we were one of the first partners of snowflake right like 2015 i think uh and they said well we, we talked to them and like what is your problem and your customers problem oh we need to get data to snowflake right like yeah that it's just part of the problem right where customers going to do next we don't care about this just get the data in snowflake right Yeah, it's it's a great problem and great companies like Fivetran, you know, have been built about around it. But for us it was not our problem. Uh, part of our hypothesis was that the integration part is going to be a commodity. You know, and it's you can see it now, right? And uh so 
for us, we we originally thought it's gonna take three years for the world to catch up with with our idea how it should be done. So we didn't we we got a lot of offers actually a lot of inbound. Uh, now we say we don't want to get funded because we've seen uh, yet because we've seen a lot of companies around us who got funded very early on and that it was hard for them to pivot or to wait, right? Pivot, VCs understand pivot. It, it can be done. But it's hard to have a hypothesis that you can like show and say it's going to take three years because it's never going to take three years. It took us six years you know, to, <laughs> before the world started to go that way. So, uh, and they are not the most patient with that, right? Of, of course, right? So if they have five-year investment horizon, then you cannot wait six years. So uh, for us, it was a good decision, I believe. It allowed us to work on our platform. It allowed us to, to work with smaller number of uh, clients. It allowed us to not to sell in the first couple of years, but to have uh, very strong referrals. And it allowed us to build a very strong uh, culture you know, internally. We are around 80 people and over 50 people have been working together for more than five years. Wow. So that's, that's, very, that's very strong, I think. And it hopefully allows us to actually being able now to scale faster because now the time is good for us with it's our hypothesis right yeah. because like if you look at the uh, what happened with corona we accelerated five to ten years in digital transformation <laughs> and yeah, true, yeah. and uh, everybody understands the problem you know, even large players like Microsoft started to build data fabric, right? And it's just a cloud management, you know, level that you integrate things. And that that's, that's awesome for us because it validates uh, our, our market positioning. So, yeah. We've had a, you know, this is, I think there's a bit of a mix of opinions. Um, those first customers that you're working with, when you're going through that validation of your hypothesis, were they paid customers? Or of course, were they, of they... course, you know, only money. Yeah. You know, we are building a business. Yeah. And and uh, as you said, we were bootstrapped, so we couldn't afford not to have paid unpaid yeah. customers. Yeah. We were doing, uh, um, you know, like um, like like a um, gradual step up, but everybody, how would you validate if it makes sense? if people are not willing to pay for it. Yeah. So at that point of validation, of asking for money, how complete is the product? At what point mm -hmm. is your product development at a point of... Mm -hmm. You know, I'll go with the question. No, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I think it's a... So this is, this is probably one of the problems why historically you haven't seen too many companies, you know, coming from Eastern Europe. I know if you ever seen that um, wave of uh, there's a distribution of you know like what like if you ask you go to US and you ask person like how are you oh it's really awesome right <laughs> if you go to England it's different but if you go to to to, to Eastern Europe like ah oh, fucking bad right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know objectively the person is still in the same spot right yeah. so like and especially coming from engineering kind of like you know technical backgrounds people hate you know in our part of the world hate to 
sell something which is not done, proven, battle tested, but you are not gonna build a fast moving company like that because it takes time and it needs validation, right? So for us, uh, I think there are like on the diffusion of technology, like like you know, like like the uh, crossing the castle and stuff. Uh, you need to understand what types of customers you have to sell once you have a finished product and what types of customers you can actually sell you know with the basics of the product and have them as part of the journey of building the product so like Tomasz Trooper and his Rohlik he was so happy that we don't have you know set product because if he would be looking for you know product which is done tested has a SOC 2 type 2 back then we have it now but you know all the ISOs he would have chosen you know like IBM or whatever right mm-hmm. but he was building a new type of company so he needed a partner who is willing to change with him so for him it was okay that we are 30% of the main capabilities and we are willing to build on that on the other hand uh like there are some customers, like now we are working for one of the largest um, uh, world companies who build who builds um, uh, like uh, logistic centers, mm-hmm. and uh, for them they are very traditional. So like they use part of the platform that have been tested, you know, like battle tested many years, but anything new, like oh yeah we like it but right. So it's, uh, and also we are learning that as well. So uh, yeah, it depends on company and on your stakeholders. Yeah. Because like, like the other company I've been talking about, it's like there's a CIO who is very proactive, pro, you know, like, but the company is not, you know, so, and, and yeah. Yeah. And so with, with that in mind, um, when you're, your personal, you know, involvement in this mm-hmm. and your journey, you know, how involved are you in this part of the process? Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the parts I love the most. Yeah. You know, uh, I love to come up with new solutions, uncover new new issues that our clients have. And I think, uh, you know, like, as you said, there are different schools of thought. I believe that in such a fast changing environment, which is new, like the data has been last couple of years and will be next 10 to 15 years. I believe that the founders and CEO and the whole basic leadership needs to be very hands on. Because like, if you are not, uh, you don't understand that how necessary it is like the Eisenhower metrics of prioritization, you know, like like urgent, not urgent, important, not important. Mm-hmm. You then tend not to understand when something is, you know, urgent and important and really needs to shift, right? And you might be going like too too slow, you know, with you know, like like oh, we need to make it perfect. So it took us some time as well, and we started to understand that. Uh, you can't have like the whole discussions. Should you have Six Sigma, Agile, or Lean? D- d- just tools, right? Mm. So like you need to apply them in the good things. And if you are not hands-on, 
uh, you might push the whole dev team into everything needs to be Six Sigma. Yes, on the platform level for us, right? So like once that feature is done and cemented, it really can't break because we are working with client's data. Yeah? But when you are testing new things, like we've been last nine months data apps, like you want to be very agile, right? And for that, you need to be, you know, like, I feel that CEO needs to be close to it, not not running it because like there are different duties. But um, if you are adding big part into your product or platform, you really need to understand it because like you have the same language as, as product people and, and then you can help to translate to salespeople and to marketing people, right? And yeah, it's, it's not the HSBC, you know, like we are building a software company. <laughs> In terms of one of the things that we've spoken about previously, so, 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 did I answer your question? Absolutely, did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, sometimes yeah. have a tendency to go no, just. No, off. No, no, you are absolutely on point. Absolutely on point. It's really interesting. Yeah, in terms of in our previous discussion, you spoke about the importance of knowing where to focus your energy. What what do you need to reinvent? What do you automate? Especially as a founder. Tell us a little bit about that because I think that's quite relevant, kind of dovetailing from what you've just mentioned there. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's uh, that's that's a great 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 question um, or point. Uh, I think a lot of times, uh, if you are a, a kind of like a systematic, you know, like like group of people, sometimes you try to automate everything, you know, but <laughs> that 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 can work for you, but not for everybody in the company. Because like uh, there's a there's a change management to everything, right? I will do a little segue to Thomas Chuper again. Like when we started with his first company, uh, they started to use Kebula to get insights, you know, data, and we wanted to do machine learning very fast, right? And he like, said, no, 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 not yet. We're like, what do you mean? But first, um, I need everybody to understand what is their core metric, what is their KPI, how they can influence that one KPI, how do they see it in data, and how they see in data how it's changing, right? Once they actually understand that, I need the teams to understand how interconnected their metrics are, right? And only after this, and it's gonna take months or year or year and a half, I can start to put automation of processes. Because if I start to put machine learning for automation before that, people will, the organization will not understand how to actually unlock the value. It will be just, oh, cool project in the R&D. You know, and that happens so many times. You see uh, large companies, you know, like big PR, you know, press release, oh, we have done AI in the, you know, but it's, it's a pocket. You know, in the company, it's locked in that pocket. It doesn't change how the organization behaves as a whole. So I think there is always, you know, like process to to everything, and uh, it it doesn't make sense to automate a process which you don't fully understand, and the organization uh, doesn't understand the the uh, the burden, you know, that that it actually gets. So. We actually designed over the years uh, a technique. Uh, um, we have our three co-founders, Milan, uh, our co-founder from Vancouver, 
he and his team designed a technique we, we call business data modeling. And it's basically a very simplified process modeling technique, you know, because like, like the, the all consultancy, you know, process modeling tools are frameworks. You get a book, 400 pages, like who's going to like, right? Like in hiring, top grading, right? Top grading was a great methodology, which no one could use, you know, <laughs> so they simplify to who methodology, yeah. right? So uh, he basically takes people from business and IT together and he starts to ask them, hey, so what data do you need? Like, let's say you are selling uh, concerts, right? So like, so like, what is the end product? Like, you know, oh, we have data in ticketing. No, 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 no. Like, what is the end goal? Oh, it's people coming to the concert. Okay, perfect. So what do they have? Oh, I need to know their name, whether blah, blah, blah. Okay, so what is before that? You said you need to buy a ticket, where, right? And you basically map the main processes throughout the organization, and you don't care where the data lives or what technological stack, right? And then you start, you take people together and like, do you understand how this influences this or not, right? And it's very interesting when you talk to people, like for some clients, we, we, we developed this and then we started to work with board minus one. And like for one client, we did like, 60 to 80 different, you know, you know, now now our partners do it, but 60 to 80 different workshops. And always ask them, what is your KPI? How, what is the metric that actually describes? Who are you dependent on? Who do you serve? How does it, you know, is in the map of business data modeling? And only once you understand that, they actually start to see where the pains are. You can you can see the choke points and you can address that and then you can automate that. Mm -hmm. I think you're stepping into a bit of your, the sales motion that you've got in play here. How have you gone about validating the right sales motion, whether it's a top-down, bottom-down, a product-led growth? Uh, that's a tricky question. I don't think uh, we've found uh, this sales motion which would work forever as the best. I think it's uh, it's uh, it's uh, it changes with the stage of the company and the market. Uh, very early on, we actually did try, uh, you know, cold calling and, and, and going, you know, like like connecting bottom up and top down. And nothing worked as much as, you know, like really just creating uh, communities and uh, helping people and then referrals. So like we grew to 5 million, you know, by basically referrals, right? And start, like taking care of the users, and not but not only users, but also the stakeholders. Mm. Like if you would go medpick, like champions, you know, and coaches, and not only users, right? And uh, so when when we started, we we tried to sell. I was like, we need to sell. We need to do uh, adverts, right? We need to do everything. Nothing kind of like worked. I'm like yeah, too early. Uh, let's try. You know, like let's focus on showing people what they can do with data. So we actually got together with women in tech groups and uh, we designed uh, uh, with, with Dita Prikrylova uh, from, from Czech IT uh, girls, uh, it's an organization they have in, in Czech. And uh, we designed a data course with, with them. And it was like a very one day, two days data course where um, uh, women learn how to work with data. And we were originally designed for young young women in school. Then started, you know, women who, who actually are at maternity leave and want to come back and change. 
and over they, they we were able to, to teach them with our partners we started to invite people to help we are able, to, we are able not we were we are able to teach anybody basically how to do things like cohorts you know in marketing you know pretty sophisticated things in one day and um, that kind of like started to spread around the world now it's like there there is an offshoot in asia uh, she loves data and it's like 20 30000 people went through those programs and we loved that because it was like helping you know people to, to, to do something and then it was interesting because they started to talk about it right um, uh, and uh, some of them came went to the some companies hey why don't you use kibula right or some companies started to use kibula and so like they were oh we are looking for someone who knows how to do it and now we are actually teaching at two universities they run they run uh, their their data courses on kibula and we the, the community part is a big part of what we do but uh and then with the sales motion it started to evolve right um uh after corona or in corona uh we started to see a big uh big influx of inbounds so we started to build a a product-led team we open up kibula uh, as a freemium so anybody can just like go to kibula.com there is a demo you know three different use cases you just can click it you know like literally 20 minutes and you have a use case um that's been really interesting and uh then we said okay we see we're actually going more and more larger companies as well so we need to start to put together a, a, a enterprise sales organization. We did first trial a year and a half ago. We understood that we are probably not gonna do it right because we are learning. We learned a lot. Yeah, we did. One of the best lessons was that it's great to get your hands dirty in the beginning, but you need to understand that you are doing it to learn. And once you actually learn, it's great to look for people who are senior and you already understand. But so, you know, Oli, we started to then uh, a year ago, Snowflake actually came to us and say, guys, we love your tech. Uh, you are great people. You just suck at selling. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, Thanks. you're right. Thanks. You're right. Uh, how can you help us? Yeah, right. Yeah. Like, well, talk to this guy. Uh, he will teach you. Right. So, so that was Oli Oli Krebs. Yes, yes. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, it's like thirteen months, fourteen months ago. Oli Oli came, and, you know, started to consult with us, help us. And like, oh, wow, this is how you do it. Oh, interesting, right? And we started to understand, you know, because we went through that experience trying to build ourselves. We started to understand why some things worked, and some deals worked, and some didn't. And yes, it's quite straightforward if you follow the map pick you know like oh where is your stakeholder map right who is oh, oh, this who is your champion this guy no it's a coach right mm. oh okay you know but some it's like one of those things that you read the book you know we read everybody you know we read the books but it's it's quite like logically easy you know there is no there's no there's no you know you're not splitting an atom but it's uh, it's uh, it's it's hard to implement because it's it's a practice, and if you are just if you think you understand the practice because you've read three books, that's not it, right? So we tried. Uh, I wouldn't say we failed, but we did. You know, <laughs> so I did say it. And but we started to understand that 
we need help, we ask for help, and we were, I, I like to think that we were better material for Oli to work with because we were not cocky, right? Like, yeah. like in this particular occasion, because yeah. we're like, oh yeah, we don't know anything about it. Please teach us. Yeah. It's a bit like learning how to drive by reading a, a manual, right? It's very, very different. It's not until you actually get out on the road, you know, you can have all the conceptual, but it's not until you've actually experienced it. I think that's a, it's a good way of, of analyzing that. So obviously he has been with you now for, for, for a while as an advisor, and he is going to be joining as a, mm -hmm. as a kind of your CRO. But so what are the things that you've now learned that really, you know, you've kind of alluded to some of them, but what have you had to change and, and how has that also changed the mindset of the business by bringing someone like Ollie into your organization? Uh, I would say the biggest thing we needed to learn is that it's a team sport. And uh, like looking back, all of the successful deals, large ones like Erstebank, were a team sport. But we were a small village team, you know, like with the soccer analogy, like kids playing around and uh, on the field and sometimes a lot of fun and sometimes there is a goal, right? But you don't really know why, right? And you're fun, right? It's just like fun, you're outside with, you know, and people who play with you, you know, like, oh, that's a great game, we like your, we like your ball. And uh, then you try to go uh, for a you know, higher league and like it doesn't work it breaks why yeah. and then uh, somebody like you, you get a great coach like we have Oli and he starts to show you that you need to play together as a team right and you're like yeah that's obvious right? but you don't understand how to scale it so for us the biggest lesson was that it can't be dependent on me or my my, my, my co-founders uh, everybody like like to understand the deal uh, life cycle and at which stages of the deal, who needs to kind of like systematically, you know, touch the deal so it's repeatable. You know, because our, our, our method was like, oh, there's an interesting, interesting uh, lead, right? Let's, let's all get together and just like, so we'll be spending in, in, in kind of like a good faith, we'll be spending so much resources and time you know, like in the wrong stages of the deal. Right? And then it led to frustration. And then next deal came and be like, no, I'm not going to help you because I just did that. You know, like I, I don't have time. Right. So all it taught us uh, how to uh, how to face the deals, when, who should come, you know, in how to actually do proper med pick, evaluate, you know, if we should actually, you know, spend the time in the deal. Right, because not everyone who comes and asks, you know, like you should give time. So those have been uh, the biggest learnings. And past couple of months, we've been working very hard to prepare materials, prepare uh, prepare the process around it. So uh, new people when they join, well, they don't take a year to understand what we do, mm -hmm. right? Because we originally thought that everybody needs to understand everything. Which I think still is a great strategy when you are starting, right? Like we have, we have, we have uh, one of our colleagues, Martin Lepka, lives in London. Um, uh, when we started, he did everything, right? He helped us to do operations. He was selling, you know, he was building marketing here, a, a community. 
and uh, he could do everything himself, you know, analytics and, and integrations. And we saw we need 50 people like him, but he burned out, right? So he actually left us for almost two years. Then he came back and he was like, I'm actually you like it here. So <laughs> but I learned my lessons and I'm not going to do this, right? And uh, so, uh, yeah, to understand th that in the team sport, not everybody needs to know everything, but you need to understand who is good at what and how to put the play together. That, that's our biggest kind of like lesson. I'm not saying we are perfect at it, but we understand that we read a manual how to drive. And we were kind of like, to use your analogy, like, you know, like previously we were like, it, it, like when you when you when you when you ride a bike, they say like the worst worst kind of like drivers are the ones who have ten thousand kilometers, because they think they know everything, right? <laughs> because they had some success drove, but then they, they die the most, you know. So yeah. that's you need another fifty thousand to actually understand that. So, so you've you've mentioned reference medpick. Um, so, which is obviously the, the qualification methodology or medic, however it's known. But were you aware of these types of kind of sales or qualification methodologies prior to Oli, or is that something that you've had to educate yourself to recently? Oh, we were aware. We, you know, like we actually uh, we implemented Salesforce, uh, you know, like before Corona, uh, everything. But we implemented it as uh, tech people would do. Okay. So we read all the books. The qualified sales leader and exactly John McMahon. Yeah, Matt Big book and uh, sales forces, you know, like menus. We watched videos, everything, and we chose the most sophisticated, you know, you know, pipeline like system. So we would cover everything, right? And there was our misunderstanding that um, to your question about automating systems. Uh, you can't go from zero to 100 miles per hour, you know, like in under one second, you know, like you need to, unless you have electrical cars or whatever, <laughs> right? But you know what I mean, kind of, there is a, there is a, there is a, you need to go slower, shift gears and go. So like, if you would look at our Salesforce before Ole, you would think like, hmm, hmm, pretty good, you know, like, oh, okay. But nobody knew how to use it. You know, like so, it was it was a it was a it was a cargo cult. You know, we thought that by implementing stages in Salesforce, integrating all the data through Kabula into Looker dashboards, it's gonna happen. But we didn't understand that's not about it. You know, we need to start with the basics, like like how do you handle? Yeah, if you play soccer, right? How do you handle ball stops? You know, turns and. And then you can put the team together, but everybody needs to have the basics. And we didn't have that. We had a perfect play for the game, which we watched on TV. So we were like, oh, this is a good play, you know, like Ted Lasso, mm, yeah. mm, like that, right? <laughs> so we implemented that and yeah. Could, could you help us just understand a little more around the structure of your go-to-market team? So mm -hmm. your sales team in the early stage, where it is now, First of all, that's my first question, and then I have another question to follow from that. <laughs> um, it's a tough question for me, uh, because it's right now literally being reformed and redone as we speak. So uh, our we have a very strong go-to-market with partners. Mm -hmm. 
like very strong. Uh, we work with Deloitte, we work with Snowflake, we won some awards as the best solution for Snowflake. Uh, we started to work with Google and, uh, and we have a lot of partners. And that, that's our very, very strong go-to-market because like we have partners like in US Questa partners. And uh, they are a great partner because like they they focus on companies, you know, like which go through mergers and acquisitions and they need to consolidate the data stack and they want it. Uh, then we started to focus on uh, part like now it's it's majority of our go-to-market is partners. Mm -hmm. So, for example, we started to focus on uh, MSPs and uh, especially in the advertising industry uh, because they, they, they don't care about, you know, like 20 tools with the switchboard manual. They just want to produce the results fast for the client so they can actually, and, and less people they can use for that, the bigger the margin, right? So. We are working now with one of the largest largest uh, uh, networks, globally publicist group, and uh, it's 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 awesome. So our go to market is like very revolving around partners, mm -hmm. and we need to double down on that. A lot of our work and talks with Oli is kind of like how to double down on that. In the same time, uh, we are big believers that for our company, and it's different for every company, we should not be only partners. Right? Because I, uh, there is a value in building your own pipeline, and your own connections, and bringing those to partners. Because it needs to be, it needs to be like mutually, you know, positive relationship. Because if you, if you don't give, you don't get, right? And also controlling the deal flow and your own destiny a little bit, understanding again the clients is a very, 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 very big part for us. But I would say like the most successful deals, especially the, the large enterprise, we would usually have three to four partners on the deal. I'm not I'm not talking about how we get the lead. You know, that's uh, it's kind of like a lot of partners, but a lot of our development and we want to double down on those. But once we start implementing, you know, the, the client, it's usually we would have a technological partner, like a big alliance, like 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 Google, Microsoft, right? Then we would have a strong uh, data warehouse partner, like Snowflake in that. But then we would have a implementation partner, like Deloitte or, or Revolt BI or, or Actum or Cuesta partners, like doing, who do the work. And usually, the best scenario is when we have one more, you know, like software partner who has a special application that actually is hard to connect with uh, all, everything else and runs on Kebula. Mm -hmm. And then it's a golden scenario. Yeah, mm. it's really interesting. Looking back at where you are as, a, as an organization, not necessarily when you hired Ollie. When would have been the right time to hire Ollie? I actually think that uh, uh, right time to hire Ollie as a CRO yeah. is coming now. Uh, if we would have hired Ollie as a CRO three years ago, 
it would have failed miserably. Okay. Because we were not ready internally. We, you know, to your original questions, why why do you, why don't you see why only now you are seeing startups from Central East Europe? We are very tech focused. But there is a difference between technology, product, go to market, customer service, right? And if Oli would have come three years ago, uh, the resistance of the organization to sales would be so huge. Because like, you know, like tech people, we think that if you build a better mousetrap, and that's a fallacy, right? Mm -hmm. Like you have you have you have a you have a you have a, uh, the, the the product and you have the uh, around that right just forgot the English word sorry about but like like you have a tangible product yeah. technology pro and have intangible layers mm -hmm. and go to market and you know like customer service are intangible but if you are a technological person you just tend to discount those. You know, you think that the code matters, right? It does, right? But if Oli would come three years ago, I would say that uh, now we don't have a discussions on the leadership level if it's good to sell or not. Three years ago, we literally had discussions like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, well, let's build this feature and this feature. Like, you know, like prior to now, our discussions are very balanced with how do we go to market slash what features and product we actually build mm -hmm. right but back then we all only the only thing we wanted to talk about was about tech right mm -hmm. and i think it's just a phase and could we have have had uh, accelerated that i believe we could uh it would be probably very painful for us for uh, us particularly but I would not recommend every company to go the same way as we have done. I think that's uh, like understanding that you are building a business uh, and that kind of like understanding that if you want to, yeah, I think that the internal, if you decide to scale the business, you are ultimately giving some control away. And that's a scary thing. Yeah. So, yeah. so obviously, it's, it's it's very interesting that you're going through that transition of a tech to a sales kind of mindset business. What is what 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 are you going through right now? So you're you're going through a bit of an ambitious growth. So so what does that what does the next four or five years look like for Kabula? So uh, uh, as you said in the beginning, uh, as I said, my mission now is to hire the best global team ever, and that's it. No, for me because like uh, now we started to hire right and you guys been a big part of it thank you and uh, we actually you know again coming back to Central East Europe you know like like we like, like we, we, we like to test things you know understand things make sure that what we say is actually true you know before we start you know and uh, now we have tested uh, we can work for the biggest companies in the world, largest ones, that it's successful, that it's 10 to 1, you know, like better than anything else. And uh, it gave us a big confidence to hire really the best people in the world. And so for us, it's right now, it's like next 12 months, 
is to really not only have Oli, that, that's great, but hire the best VP level, right? Um, uh, it's not only about skills. For us, you know, if you have company have been together for six, seven, eight years, you need to really look for cultural fit as well. And so like, for example, that's why we, we got together with people from Ray Dalio who built the open meritocracy culture for him, who are now helping us, you know, with this, how do you, you know, like make it together, right? So that's a huge, huge thing. Because like, like it, we, we can't do it like we used to do it, you know, like uh, my role changes. I'm like, until last year, like literally all deals went through me. Mm -hmm. Last six months, we have new deals that I have not been part of. That is, it is it's <laughs> great, you know, it's, it's, it's what you need, you know, like, like I think J Jason Lemkin said that until six million, you know, like founders sell and then we are now over 10 million. So, you know, like everything like starts that. So scaling the organization globally. And uh, when I say globally, our, our first, you know, two theaters are UK, Ireland and North plus next year US uh, is a huge thing. Uh, yeah, so it doesn't break. <laughs> and uh, of course, on the product and technology, it's a, it's, it's a huge shift we've seen last nine months with the LLMs and, and we are really excited about that. Remember, as I said, we, we, when we drew the Wardly map, um, we kind of like were thinking about these automations using AI in the, in the data, data platform. We thought they would be here earlier again, you know, but, and then when we saw GPT bomb was like, yeah, yeah, but it has a potential and now it's here. So we do a lot of, lot of that, but it's not only about, oh, sorry, about our platform. It's about how the whole world changes. We are literally now, we now entering, we have entered the fourth industrial revolution. It, it changes like every revolution, everything. If you think about businesses as processes and the economy as processes of processes, like before the first industrial revolution, we, uh, the engine that was running the processes was, was people, right? Like muscles. Then it was steam, electricity, and now it's literally the AI. So, this changes again everything and we are here you know to help the companies to really our original mission was you know like the world is moving to algorithm you know and we are the backbone for it now we make it shorter like automate business processes with ai right and it's i think that like next two three years are really are really gonna show us how the humanity is gonna look like for the next hundred years and it's i know everybody talks about it but it's just like we are living in it we are seeing how companies and and still we don't we are not able to say what's gonna happen hmm. and some of the some of the advancements are just incredible i know like now cloth or you know you can you can put two hundred thousand tokens in it so the whole book well, wow <laughs> but Two months ago, Microsoft have published a paper where they actually, uh, you know, proved that they can build a LLM which can have a prompt size one trillion tokens. The human, uh, we as humans, we actually read only one to two uh, uh, billion. Sorry, I'm, I'm like I always recount the 
US, US to, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So like yeah, ten to the power of nine uh, uh, tokens, and we as as, uh, as 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 humans, we actually read only one to two billion words in our entire life. Wow. So like like now we have uh, our auto GPT, you know, multiple agents. Do we need them in one year when the big net is there, long net uh, they call it, and and all of that. So so that that's a huge revolutionary shift. Uh, and I think we are very well positioned because like the uh, the the for for the AI to work, you need to actually automate the data platform because if you are relying on people, just like you can't handle the volume of data jobs. You know? yeah. mm. you, you, I think you're tapping into very much a, a conversation that we had with Jeremy Burton on the previous show, which is technologists are light speeds ahead of technology development. But the industry isn't. Yeah, yeah so exactly. There's no point yeah. overdeveloping because yeah. at the moment the customers aren't ready for it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so why did you choose to launch in Amir or Europe before the US? Mm, good one. Uh, honestly, because we were out of the you know EMEA, yeah. so for us uh, our original uh, thinking was we we had customers in the US since the beginning. But uh, for us, it was kind of like we want to test in Central Eastern Europe, and it's been uh, Europe is very complex, right? You have a different, you know, jurisdiction, different, different, you know, data governance. You know, like Germany is different than Switzerland, GDPR. So, if you can make it work here, again, our nature, see, like prove it, right? Technologically and 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 lawyerishly and you know governance right here it will work everywhere right and so uh, yeah and so so that's why we did it we then tested it very shortly in in UK and then we started actually US before Corona and then came Corona so we had to actually regroup right and now we want to go really big on US as well because we see it it's really 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 ripe there but I would say. Uh, European businesses are differently uh, built than the US ones, and uh, in what in in many many instances, uh, it's not an advantage. In our world, we believe it's an advantage because, like, we if if you can you know do GDPR and every jurisdiction in Europe, you know, like like it's very trustworthy, right? And you can then apply that. And we work with data; mm. it's very sensitive. It needs to work. So how did you know that Oli Krebs was the right CRO for you? Oh, thank you. Uh, we've worked with Oli for a year as a consultant. Mm. And uh, we have a, uh, we are little jerks, you know, inside Kibula. You know? <laughs> we like to make fun, you know, we are trolls and uh, we are very open. You know, like people would say sometimes like very open. A lot of people don't, uh, you know, uh, don't fit in that. And uh, we worked with Oli for a year. First, like when he first came, we were like, oh, yeah, we've seen that before, you know, a guy from a big company, right? But he's so funny, he's so open, he's so nice, yet he knows like literally everything about what there is about building high performance sales teams. And so we looked around, we did a lot of, you know, like tests, we like data, so we like to, you know, like, you know, things. And we kind of like established that there's probably 200 to 500 people on this position globally on the same level as Oli. 
But we're like, well, there's probably, we talked to some people with, like, like who know us and it's like, guys, like there's probably only 30 people that will be able to work with you and you with them. And we're like, oh, we're so lucky, you know? And so more and more we started to work with Oli, more and more it worked, you know? And so, so like, like the whole company started to have more trust in Oli and enjoy working with him. The thing about Oli is very, he's very systematic. He thinks, you know, he thinks in networks, he thinks in patterns. He has done it all. He, you know, when he was young, he was a, a DBA admin. He actually worked at Sparkasse in Hamburger. He took them to Oracle. He always says, oh, I don't understand tech. Oh, that's bullshit. <laughs> he understands mm -hmm. everything. But then he worked at sales, project management, you know, running it. So he's very hands-on. And that's one of the values, you know, that in Kabula we really, really value, you know, like people who don't just talk about the moon, but who actually visit the moon, right? So that's that's why we think it's going to be awesome. And that's why it's going to work. Amazing. Thanks, Shane. Thank very, you for that question. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very, very exciting journey. I think this is where we really have to reflect on, you know, what we've heard. Because if I was to kind of just summarize, it's almost been kind of a, if you were to kind of think about the various stages of the evolution of a company, you can kind of see the different stages that you've gone through. But what I think is really interesting and, and what I'm hoping that a lot of founders will kind of get from listening to this is that at every stage, you had to make a pivot. Mm -hmm. you, you you kind of get to the first stage and, and the first strategy or the first mindset isn't the one that's going to really serve you. And, but the reason why you've been able to navigate across that is because your mindset was always understanding what's next, but also putting the customer at the center of everything that you did. And so as you navigated the organization to where to the various iterations, you can kind of see how you're really working that and the process that you're going through. And I think, you know, where you are as a business, you've been very, very patient. Where, where a lot of companies maybe have been, would have tried to sell earlier, you knew where you were, you knew where the market is and where it isn't. And you've bought yourself the, enough time to ensure that you're, you're you're peaking at the right time. And I think this is why Kabula at the moment are on such an amazing trajectory. You're about to go through some very ambitious growth, as we as we've kind of alluded to, but the timing is right. And and I just want to say a big you know thank you for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure, really really insightful. And thank you so much for sharing your journey with us, guys. Thanks for having me. It's been really a pleasure. I I love the environment. I love your podcast. By the way, I listen to. I have a Yuval, you know Harari, and you now in, in my podcast. So thanks, and uh, it's a great summary. So to all our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in today. Um, if you like what you've heard, again, please do subscribe to our various channels, iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube. All the links are in the description below. And we look forward to welcoming you back for another session soon. Thank you.